Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we discuss pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, Tammy Hackbarth is here, and we are talking about Bring It On. Hey friends, love our show, but hate the commercials. Become a pop culture club member on Patreon for $10 a month to receive ad free episodes with bonus content, bonus episodes, a virtual meetup to discuss movies and television, and so much more. To learn more about how to become one of our Patreon pals, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com or visit the link in our show notes. Bring It On was first released on August 22nd, 2000, and stars Kirsten Dunst, Eliza Dushku, Jesse Bradford, and Gabrielle Union, just to name a few. Set in sunny San Diego, this film leaped and cheered its way into the ether and into our hearts. But before we dive in, let me introduce you to my guest. Tammy Hockbarth is the host of the 100% guilt-free self-care podcast and friends. You may or may not remember me promoting it on our Instagram because I have been a guest of that show in her work as a life work coach. She works with women who want to get their time and energy back so they can go after their big dreams and create the world they want to live in. She is a certified life work coach through UC. Davis Extension, coaches women privately, and is the host of Deferred Maintenance, a group coaching experience for women who put their own self-care last. So basically every woman. Welcome to the show, Tammy. (laughs) Thank you. I am so happy to be here and so, so happy to talk about this movie. I'm excited you're here. For our friends at home, they don't know that we are friends in real life. So when the two of the best worlds collide... (laughs) It's so good. And so is this, can we just talk about, I just have to say this. Yeah. Fuck every reviewer who didn't love this movie. I'm just going to say it straight away. Yeah. Listen, I support you in that sentiment. And we're actually going to dive into that a little bit too, because I've got thoughts and we're going to just, we're just going to, we're going to get in, we're going to get in. So let's dive into a really quick summary for our friends who maybe haven't seen it. And I don't know what you're doing with your life because the movie's 22 years old. So here's a summary from bring it on friends. The summary is from Google. I did not have the time to write my own creative summary. So I apologize in advance, but Google gets all the credit for this. Here we go. The, cho- the Toro cheerleading squad from Rancho Carne High School in San Diego has got spirit, spunk, sass, and a killer routine that's sure to land them the national championship trophy for the sixth year in a row. But for newly elected team captain Torrance, the Toro's road to total cheer glory takes a shady turn when she discovers that their perfectly choreographed routines were in fact stolen from the Clovers, a hip-hop squad from East Compton by the Toro's former captain. Thank you for that rousing um, summary, Google. Okay. At the time of its release, critics had a lot to say. Roger Ebert gave the film two stars and offered this in his August 25th, 2000 review. Quote, Bring It On shows every evidence of being life as a potentially funny, 
hard-edged r-rated comedy there's raunchy language a half-nude locker room scene jokes about sex and those startling cheerleader songs i smiled at the songs i might have enjoyed the movie if it had developed along the lines of animal house or american pie instead we get a strange mutant beast of half nickelodeon movie half rated r comedy it's like kids with potty mouth playing grown up so this leads me to believe that ebert doesn't get it and after several episodes in and quoting his reviews, I'm beginning to think this Pulitzer Prize winner is a bit of a misogynist, but that might require a deeper study of his work. In the meantime, critic reviews were all over the place. The San Francisco Chronicle said the film had truly lame dialogue. The LA Times called it a crackling good script sharply directed, but the New York Times had the best observation, in my opinion, quote, the fact that the bouncy teenage sports comedy can even gesture towards serious matters of race and economic inequality is pretty impressive, as is the occasional snarl of genuine satire. But I want to start with an easy question, Tammy. Let's talk about why you love this movie. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Julia, I was a letter girl at De Anza High School in Richmond, California. Richmond? Richmond! In the 80s. <laughs> and I will just say that seeing this movie, this movie came out when I was 30 years old. Mm. And I thought, my God, were they watching us? What's yeah. happening? <laughs> now, re-watching it, 22 years later, I thought the dialogue does suck. The dialogue is, some of it is very dated. It's like yes. super duper duper. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It needs, it needs a refresh. Yeah. Cause some of the dialogue, you're just like, oh, you, you cannot say that ever. And I think it probably wasn't okay in 2000, but we let it slide because we didn't know anybody. It was the dialogue, some of the dialogue, especially um, around LBGTQ mm -hmm. matters was real bad. Yep. Real bad. I mean, there was some, yeah, there was some, and the, like uh, high school boy uh, sexism, mm -hmm. still gross. Mm -hmm. It was gross in high school. It's still gross. I don't know if it's gross in high school now because I'm not in high school. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's something that goes through. So I was a cheerleader. I did actually go to cheerleading camp. Yes. There was a spirit stick. Stop. Was there really? There is a spirit stick uh, superstition. OMG. Um, we, my squad, okay, so my squad, there was three squads at my school. The cheerleaders red, wore red uniforms mm -hmm. and they just did like the yelling on the sidelines. Great. Then there was another squad and everybody had seven, seven or eight. And then there was another squad. They wore white uniforms and they had pom-poms and they were called song leaders. Huh. I don't know why, yeah. but they also did like sexy halftime dancing things. Sure. Yeah. And then the squad I was on 
were the letter girls. And so we wore, our colors were red, gold, and white. Bringing and it all together. Right. Our uniforms were that goldenrod color with the red and the white. And so we alternated uh, doing halftime routines at both football and basketball, as well as rally routines with mm. the song leaders. So okay. like one rally, they would be the ones shaking their butts in their short skirts uh, during second period rally and then the other then the next rally it would be our turn and so um when i saw it when i saw this movie i was like okay i can totally legit see people stealing routines and as someone who grew up in richmond california mm -hmm. in the middle 80s our routine, our squad, my squad in particular, we called ourselves Salt, Peppa, and Paprika because there were white girls, black girls, and Filipino girls. Mm -hmm. And so it was a mix. We were all ages. We were all races. We all wore that same stupid yellow uniform. <laughs> and we vastly, our routines were either, uh, you know, like, I'll just tell you, you could tell who chose the music mm -hmm. because like we did a routine to push it. Yes. We did a routine to weird science by Oingo Boingo. Yeah. <laughs> and then the one I, the other one I, that sticks out is, um, you spin me round. Yeah. You yeah. Spin so I'm just saying right round, baby. exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that we actually took uh, we did that routine at cheerleading camp, which is nice. completely insane. And the other commonality is we also, which is very unusual. We mm -hmm. had a boy cheerleader my year. I only did it one year. Oh, I bet he got harassed because, he did. because even in 2000 boy cheerleaders are being hurt. Like that's what that's huge part of the movie is the guy cheerleaders are getting harassed by the football team. Absolutely. And he shut it down this way good for him he shut it down by saying well i went to cheerleading camp and was the only <laughs> dude there there were hundreds of cheerleaders and i was the only guy there mm -hmm. yeah how was your summer fellas did you yeah. guys all hang out together i was like good for you fj yeah yeah that's smart i love that um can you tell our friends who may not be familiar with Richmond. I've had my car broken. Well, not my car, the car. There used to be this club, a, a punk club in Richmond that we used to go to all the time. So called girl, if I could remember 20 years ago, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but, um, it was mm, not in a part of town. If my parents knew I was there, they'd be thrilled about. Um, but, but, you know, people, I mean, it was very much like a, don't leave anything in your car neighborhood where we would go. I, I still don't leave things in my car. What are you saying? I mean, I live, I have a false sense of security because of the way that I live allows it. So I'm like, there's all kinds of shit in my car all the time, but it was like, like the club we went to, it was like, dirty and the floor was sticky and it, the walls were painted black and they were painted like this neon color so that way they'll you know it was just a lot of fun it was a lot of fun if my child wanted to go to a venue like that now I'd be like no the fuck you're not 
and I'm like harmless fun a little black paint never hurt anyone I know um, well and that's only because I'm like I remember what some of the guys were doing in the bathroom like no you can't go okay that I that I can concur with okay so uh Richmond is and was a very blue collar town mm-hmm. it is right on the San Francisco Bay lots of people moved to Richmond El Sobrante, which means the leftovers uh, from the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people came west to, was, was this the kind of question you were answer, asking? Yeah, yeah, because people right? think that California, they assume, oh, LA or San Francisco. So trying to fill in the blanks. Okay, right? but then, like, okay, imagine, but imagine San Francisco and how beautiful it is, everyone, mm-hmm. right? It's like this it's this tiny you just, you're thinking of the golden, golden gate, Bridge, gate the koi tower it's gorgeous the fog rolling in carl's rolling in absolutely and then right across the bay is oakland which is uh very industrial also there's like uh warehouses and a port and manufacturing and a bridge and all that jazz and then a little bit east from there is Richmond. And a lot of people came to Richmond in the 40s, especially after World War II, because you could get a cheap house through the GI Bill and you could work at Standard Oil, aka Chevron. Mm-hmm. My grandpa worked there for 37 years. Make a decent and, living, have a good pension. Right. It's like you have a union job yeah. in this town, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but back in the day, and it could be still today, right? Uh, there was the black side of town, the white side of town, and then the immigrant part of town. Mm-hmm. And now there's a lot more immigrants from Mexico and Central America. But when I was growing up, very black, very white, and um, like Filipino families and Indian families coming over to work at companies like Bechtel in San Francisco, mm-hmm. where you come and you, uh, you, you're you like, I was an engineer in my original country, and now I'm coming to California to be an, uh, an engineer here also, because there's a special work visas for like people who have That's special cool. talents, cool. Like, like special skills. Um, and so growing up, like half my school was not white and whereas my school barely had a black student union because there was like eight of us (laughs) I mean I'm I'm not laughing because it's funny I'm laughing because you know there's there's you know hints of trauma there well totally and what's interesting is because I obviously I am white but having grown up in this very very mixed area PS there was still a lot of bullshit Mm -hmm. still a lot of bullshit uh, cause white supremacy likes to follow everyone around. Mm-hmm. Um, but n- nobody that I grew up with could, could claim to not know other people of other races because right. you sat next to them in geometry. Right. Right. Oh, speaking of geometry, I'm like, let me just name drop. So <laughs> other people from where I'm from, uh, John Kiffmeyer sat, John, Kif- you're like, who the fuck is John yeah, Kiffmeyer? Yeah, I don't know who that is. AKA. Al Sobrante, the first drummer of Green Day, oh, behind me in geometry in high school, was also in my second grade class. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Kurt Hammett from Metallica. 
went to my high school. I just saw Metallica in October of 2020 twice. Right? Uh, Les Claypool from Primus. Oh, my God. It was a great place to grow up. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting um, because I had a lot of white friends because I'm white. But I also had a lot of friends who weren't white. And so I went to other people's houses and ate other kinds of food and saw how other people live. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it was this interesting experience. And what's shocking to me now is that everyone didn't have that. Um, Oh yeah. Everyone didn't have that. Right. Um, People here think that Richmond like might as well be Compton. Or the stereotypes of Compton, right? Like just, that's what I people will just think say here. That people in the Bay Area, especially then, also thought that. Sure. Um, I will just say that there's a town next to Richmond called San Pablo. And at one point they had the highest murder rate in the United States. Oh. And I when I moved to Sac, um, When I moved to Sacramento, I went down to this very fancy gym downtown. And this very handsome gentleman was helping me like get set up and stuff. And I don't know why. Oh, I asked him, I was like, what brought you to Sacramento? Because I'm convinced nobody is actually from anywhere where they actually are. And he said, oh, football. I'm like, oh, really? That's interesting. But I'm thinking football Football. like college football football I know I was like I'm gonna need um judges ruling what and he said oh yeah anyway it was like it was a get recruited kind of dealio and I I mean I won't bore you with the details because I can't fucking remember them because I was like (laughs) I don't care he was just like handsome and sparkly and then I was like oh interesting and he's like yeah but I grew up in the Bay Area and I was like oh really where and he said Oakland and I said Oh, I grew up in Richmond. And he went like this. Really? And I like, said, this doesn't track. <laughs> right. And I was like, let's play a little game of who do you know? And yeah. he was like, okay. And I said, where'd you go to high school? And he said, Skyline. And I was like, that's the fancy school. He's like, where'd you go to high school? And I said, Deanza. And he's like, that is not a fancy school. <laughs> We played them. <laughs> I was like, and I was like, and I was there in the eighties. And he was like, "Damn, you don't, you don't look like you're from Richmond." I was like, "All the people say that," and I'm like, "What does that mean?" Right. What does that mean? But because I don't look like I'm from Richmond, mm-hmm. I have been on the other side of conversations where I'm like, "I'm sorry, did you say that out loud?" Yeah. Oh, people can hear you. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I think it's important. Like one of my biggest pet peeves about people's perceptions of California, I mean, bring it on totally feeds into it. Right. Like this whole idea, like San Diego, there's a very specific type of view of San Diego and the Rancho Carne people totally live up to that stereotype. But wait, does Carne do not, does that not uh, mean meat? In so Spanish. every time they're like Rancho Carne High School, I'm like, but I need tacos now. Is that bad? I know. I'm like house meat. Your your school is house meat. <laughs> Rancho meat. What? I know. 
but it's my biggest pet peeve whenever we watch movies and someone's like moving from like Wisconsin or like Arizona and they fucking drive over the Golden Gate Bridge to get to San Francisco and I'm like you are not coming from Arizona driving over the Golden Gate Bridge to get to San Francisco stop doing that (sighs) my biggest pet peeve damn if we're gonna be well well, and it's funny because I'm like so you have a geography a geography pet peeve and I have a there's only white people in California and everybody's super liberal and I'm like where does that place exist I grew up in the Bay Area and I heard some racist shit yeah (laughs) so I'm like "Mm, it doesn't track I mean relative to other places Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. there is a lot more progressive politics here please do not think that we are a monolith there are 40,000 people or 58 counties no there's 58 counties and 40 million people who live here 40,000 people what is this 1852 (laughs) I know I'm like there's 40,000 books in this room no there's it's a lot you guys it's a lot so if you're not from California it's not Baywatch it's not what other shows set in it's it's not even bring it on it's not. It's not. Even though I do think that they feed into the stereotype. We are looking for advertising partners. When you support this podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. If that's you, email us at popculturemakesmejealous to get started. Just put ad partner interest in the subject line. Can't wait to hear from you. This film was written by Jessica Bendinger and directed by Peyton Reed. P.S. Peyton Reed is, a, is male. Since who has since directed movies like Ant-Man, Yes Man, and Down With Love? At the time, he had been best known for Mr. Show. When a film's leading characters are female, written by females, it is my observation that they tend to be fleshed out characters. Often male writers make women two-dimensional and settled into tropes. But when there's a female writer and a male director interpreting her vision, some things can get lost. So overwhelmingly, nearly every critic review of the time commented on how bouncy the girls were portrayed. Sexual windows abound. To refer to Ebert's review again, he says, quote, bring it on. Yet another example of the most depressing trend of the summer of 2000. This cynical attempt by Hollywood to cram R-rated material into PG-13 rated movies, end quote. So the balance between raunch and being the right rating to get the right audience seems to be in conflict here. But in a 20-year retrospective, Refinery21 released Six Things You Never Knew About Bring It On 20 Years Later, where readers learned that Bendiger wanted to direct the movie. So I can't help but wonder if this film was shepherded by a female director, how do you think it would be different in the attempts at sexual humor? Because do you remember that scene when um, Homeboy stretching out Eliza and it's very much the missionary position with her leg up? And I was like, and at the time I'm like, I don't get the joke because I was 16 and not having sex. Now I'm like, Oh, is this what everyone was talking about, about inappropriate jokes? I'm just going to say this. I grew up in the (laughs) eighties 
and porkies. I'm just telling you, high school was R-rated. It, I mean, there, you know, those memes that are like, we grew up and blah, we were rolling around in the back of the truck and huffing fumes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, your parents could send you to the store to buy them cigarettes. So right. like, it was a different time. That being said, God, if it was a female director, I don't know. It is funny because part of me is like, I feel like, I feel like some of the like sec sexual humor could have been toned down. It could have just been cut out because it was like superfluous. It was like, yeah. why? Yeah. Like it just like we didn't need it. Like this film actually could have just been about the relationships between the squads. Mm -hmm. It could have been about female power. It could have been about insecurity. It could have been about all of these things without any of that yeah. nonsense. Because there, there's another scene too where he's like that one, the one, this the straight cheerleaders like sometimes a digit slips and you're just like isn't that isn't that kind of bordering on like sexual assault uh-huh mm -hmm. and she's and the girl's just like ah, ew. you know and you're just like i don't feel like maybe you shouldn't have done that and also it's not funny also will i be showing this movie to my daughter no. Will I be showing her 16 Candles? No. Will I be showing her Breakfast Club? Probably not. But you know what I mean? Like, things were different mm -hmm. back then. Um, I just, I felt like that whole, that like the boy storyline, I was like. Was it necessary? It, it felt unnecessary. Yeah. Like, it just, it felt like fodder for more like homophobic bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, so there are some scenes when I was rewatching it in preparation for our conversation where I was just like, you know, I, there, I think there could have been better ways through the lens of being a director. Not that I am a director, but you know, I'm not in a future film situation, but I have my fair share of video projects under my belt. Um, where it's like, you could have done that same exact scene, but in a way that wasn't in a way that wasn't like I don't know bordering on sexual assault or like or actual sexual assault or like it, you know when it felt the... lazy yes yes it felt, because... it felt lazy we were like because that assumption of like oh they're cheerleaders and so of course they're gonna run around half naked and in workout clothes all the time like that's kind of how okay that felt. part is true <laughs> yes but 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 that doesn't give you license to phone it in and it kind of bothers me that he's gone on to like direct like bigger shit. <laughs> I'm like, and yeah, I know, yes, I know. of course, you know, I mean, I felt like that. I felt like the whole guy part was lazy. Mm -hmm. Except was it Cliff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because so he was cute. so cute. He was the interesting new guy. He was the one that had the good taste in music. And he was wearing like, a Clash shirt when they first yeah. met. And she had no idea who they were. That was my favorite. I was like, you're right? cute. 
exactly like you're cute and also like jesse bradford he's so cute so cute um yeah i i and he's the only non-gross boy in the movie did you already say that no i think no i didn't i mean torrance's boyfriend was a doucher i mean he was very very eddie haskell very Mm -hmm. like i want the everyone to like me oops i'm gay i'm like it just part of it you're just like it's so juvenile Mm -hmm. like can we move beyond like super juvenile shit because there was so many good parts of this movie there were so many great themes there was so much great conversation that like it's a little embarrassing it's like well it's like the what the new york times guy was saying right like he nailed it on the head with calling out how like that basically you're stealing it's cultural appropriation it's having it's the conversation of um economic and you know um so all the inequalities (laughs) words are hard words are hard but what i think what you're getting at is the discrepancy between the haves the have nots Mm -hmm. the 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 intersection of race class gender yes the intersection of um white guilt yeah and black female anger yeah like there there was so many things that could have been Mm -hmm. even just like only having the snapshot of the actual competitions do you know what i mean like yeah like it just it could have been smarter let's put it that way like there was parts where i'm like (laughs) i hate when people do the obvious Mm -hmm. when you're like but you you had great source material why do you have to like dumb it down yeah. And I think that might be part of a byproduct and I'm generalizing of who the director was because it's not his baby. He's not invested in it. He is seeing it through the lens of like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm making assumptions on how he's seeing the lens he's looking through, but based on the final product, you know, the New York times author of that article gets it. Everyone else doesn't get it. And I think that's a byproduct of directorial decisions. Okay, but who's here's the question, and this is what I wanted to say earlier is who do you think the target audience for this movie is? It's a really great question because you know they're seniors in high school. It's about cheerleaders where they trying to tap into that summer teen market in the 2000s. Because think about all the movies that came out in 2000, 1999-2000. I mean, that was a big summer. That was those two years alone were huge for like. Also, can we remember that was when the fucking end of the world was coming? Yeah. <laughs> of course, we're gonna have every goddamn teenage movie, like every remake of every yeah. like love story. Like it's all happening because in goddamn- December it was just gonna crash. So yeah. 100% because the computers did not have the capability for that fourth digit, damn right. it. And so it was gonna all end. Right. Like, so, but I, and it's funny because I was shocked. I saw this, I don't even remember how I saw it to be perfectly honest, but I remember maybe it was like, I was just like flipping through and it was on TV or something and I watched it and I was riveted. Yeah. Riveted. Yes. Yes. Because how is it going to end? What's the payoff? Yeah. Are they going to get caught? 
I mean, as soon as, okay, I didn't know that anything going into this. And as soon as I saw the routine, I was like, that's not their routine. Yeah. They don't even know that song. Yeah. Right. And it's before everything was online. So you could, you know what I mean? Like where you Mm -hmm. actually had to go places, you, you met your friends places. And if you were Mm going to be late, that was it. Your friends were just fucking sitting there waiting for you because you couldn't text them. Like there's a lot of context I think is missing um, because you can't put a 2022 lens over a big part of the movie. Right. And the big part of the movie is like the appropriation. Let's just call it what it is. Stealing something from someone else and claiming it as your own. Yeah. That could never happen now. And in, and in the way, I mean, it does kind of happen, but it can't happen in the same way, right? Because like, you can't have it in secret. Yeah, exactly. Because if it hadn't been for Missy, who came from LA, who competed against East Compton, Rancho Carne would have stayed in the dark about the fact that Big Red was stealing routines all this time. Because when are they going to play? They're not in the same league literal districts they're not in the same district julia the other part that just this movie gripped me you know who the target audience was tammy hackbarth yeah check this out so when i was a freshman and sophomore in high school my high school deanza was in the richmond berkeley athletic league oh Oh, hey, so, Oh, my God. If... <laughs> People from California know. People from our parts of California know. Okay. I had the biggest crush on this dude swimmer from Berkeley High where I was just like all heart eye emojis. Like I invented it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyhow. And then in my junior year, our boys basketball team went to state that year and won. Nice. Very, very exciting. They played at the Oakland Coliseum. Anyhow, uh, we first, I don't know what district dis- decision makers thought this was a good idea. We left the Richmond Berkeley Athletic League and we went to the Alkalani's League. And the Alkalani School District is in Walnut Creek, Arinda, Moraga. <laughs> Listen, we have a running joke in the family that I need to go to Walnut Creek to find my sugar daddy who's appropriately aged that I actually want to spend time with. Like that's a, that's a literal joke because that's where I would go to find him. I will just say this. We went from playing schools that looked like us, Mm -hmm. very mixed, very Mm -hmm. blue collar, whatever to like playing the rich kids. Yeah. Like I was like, are we living on a John Hughes movie all of a sudden? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? I kid you not. So my senior year is the year that I was a letter girl. And you might be asking yourself, why were you a letter girl before? You clearly love this. Because I had poor academic grades, people. Oh, yeah. Because I was too busy cutting school. <laughs> to get my shit together so I could do this. And I wanted to do it because it was super fun, blah, blah, blah. It's not because I'm a stuck up bitch. It's because it's actually hard work and it's fun. It's a great bonding experience if you're on the right team squad. Um, We, me, 
and my girl Tess and a couple of friends were leaving a football game and these girls in a convertible BMW. Oh, Lord. <laughs> drove by us, said some racial slurs out. And do you know what happened? We ran after them and I think they wet their pants. Well, yeah. Because they basically, like, so the equivalent in Bring It On is you're going to pump our gas someday. They did that cheer. Stop. They did that cheer to us. Stop. They did that cheer to us. I am not kidding. I am not kidding when I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yes. Oh my gosh. And people like, you're going to pump our gas someday. There is some cheer where the opposing cheerleading squad comes to the other side of the field and does some like sassy, like that's you're, all right. that's okay. You're going to pump our gas someday. Basically implying that, cause you know, for friends who don't remember, you used to actually have somebody pump your gas for you in California. And who are those people, Julia? Gas pump jockeys. <laughs> is, that, is that not what the answer you're looking for? I'm thinking no, of how to marry a like, millionaire when she's but, like, like gas pump jockey. Blue collar. Oh yeah, blue people, collar. Working people, perhaps people of color. I'm such an asshole. Oh my God. I have to tell you. I'm trying to edit that part out, friend. I'm coming from the context of like, because in how, how to marry a millionaire, the millionaire guy, it keep, she keeps calling him that gas pump jockey. I'm not going to go out on a date with him. He's what he can buy me a hamburger, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the movie, because, because of the way he's dressed, right? Like she feels that way about him because of the way he's dressed. It's all about appearance. Like he's wearing a sport coat. Like he's not a refined millionaire. Like some of these cattle guys they run with. And then at the end of the movie, he pulls out a wad of cash and you're just like, and everyone passes out because they're shocked that this person could look like this and be a millionaire. (laughs) So I apologize for potentially being offensive, for having been offensive. It was not okay. And I will do better next time. Thank you. Thank you. The point being is going to bring it all right back. Who's the target audience for bringing, for bringing on? Tammy Akbar. <laughs> like, I again, I don't remember seeing this. I, j- but I will tell you, the first time I saw it, I did call my girl Tess, and I was like, "What the fuck? Have you seen this cheerleader movie?" And she's yeah. like, "Girl, it is us. It is us. It is us." And I was like, "I know." It was Crazy Town. Because was there a, I don't recall cheerleader specific, like they made reference in one of the articles I found about another cheerleader movie from like the seventies. But honestly, when I read the name, I was like, the fuck is that movie? Like, who is, who, who are you movie reviewer that you're pulling some movie that literally nobody knows about to, to make reference? Maybe in 2000, people did know about it, but in 2022, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this movie is. I don't remember what it was, and I don't think I knew what it was then. All I know is having, again, (laughs) that cheerleading camp thing, 
is I I've never watched Dance Moms or anything, but I feel like there's some like connection to mm -hmm. like you got half grown adults all dressed the same, cutesy hair bows, the whole like the whole shebang. Cause you, cause you got your uniform. You haven't got your uniform yet. Cause these fucking things are expensive and it takes a while. And because they stitch your name on them and they, right. like, like there's a thing, like it takes a while you get measured, you do the thing. And it, it doesn't come before you go to cheerleading camp. And we went to UC Santa Cruz for for cheerleading camp. And nice. I was like, what? but while I was there, um, like I got to witness how this cheerleading thing happened at other schools. And I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't think I would have done it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's totally different. And you see that too, between the Toros and the Clovers, like the Clovers, like this person, this review on Google calling them like a cheerleader hip hop squad. First of all, okay. But they definitely have a different vibe. They're definitely more fun. They're more like, they're a little bit more let me put it this way. Rancho Carne is so buttoned up that when you watch them do the Burrits Golden Hair and then you see the Clovers do Burrits Golden Hair, you're like, no, honey, that's how it's done. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what you Toros think you were doing, but that wasn't it. <laughs> Again, if you know nothing about music, if you know nothing about cheerleading, that first scene, you're like, these things do not belong together. Yeah. These do not belong together. One of these things is not like the other. Like you like there's no there's no connecting these dots. These dots yeah. are wrong. Yeah. These like I this is a I would like to speak to the manager because this <laughs> is so like somebody poured coffee in my iced tea. I don't know, but this is wrong what's yeah. happening here. These things don't belong together. And I'd like to get down to business to find out where does this thing actually belong? Because right. it's not here. Right. The other thing I did not enjoy um, is, and maybe I didn't enjoy it because I saw some of it in real life, but mm. not, but it's, again, it's weird going to cheer camp. You get to witness a lot of weird shit. Uh, and it was weird shit because I didn't become a cheerleader because I wanted to be the most popular. Like there wasn't, I didn't feel like people who were cheerleaders at my school were assholes. Sure. We were uh, people who apparently, um, it wasn't like we were the most popular people, but we were people who were like, you know, what sounds fun going to every single game wearing a short skirt for free and for free and shaking our asses. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a little exhibition assist in all of us. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but it wasn't the, like the whole big red and the like be mean to all the girls and the, this and the, that. That wasn't your experience. That wasn't my experience. It's kind of makes me sad that like, like, we could do a whole episode alone on Big Red. That girl was not balanced. I was going to say touched. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which leads us to 
Later, Ebert went on to say that Bring It On is the Citizen Kane of cheerleader movies, but that doesn't change the fact that he initially didn't get it and A.O. Scott from the New York Times did. But regardless of critic understanding, it doesn't change the fact that Torrance Shipman's world is turned upside down when she learns the truth behind her team's champion status. There's a few scenes I want to point out. One, when Big Red confronts Torrance after the first competition at regionals, the routine they hired, Torrance has learned that the routine was stolen from the Clover, so they hire this guy. <laughs> it's just so bad. The routine is so bad, and it gives a bad name to Spirit Fingers. Big Red is furious. Torrance has decided to not use the routine, even though the Clovers were there, y'all. Like, come on. The second scene I want to point out is when Torrance brings a check for the entrance fee so the Clovers can compete. It could be argued that she sees this as righting a wrong, but I have an issue with it, but we'll get into that later. What could women do who are not people of color learn from Torrance's experience, her mistakes, her efforts as she embarks on this journey of discovering injustice exists in her world? Because I feel like Torrance is doing all the things that she thinks is right, but they keep missing the mark you mean like crying <laughs> like, like like she like, doesn't like her world is over like yeah like it, it's but then again okay so i'm gonna say a yes and okay she is young it is a long time ago we have come a long way in the last 22 years mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it's cringy right mm -hmm. but how many conversations did you have in the summer of 2020 that were fucking cringy because people woke the fuck up for the very first time when you're waking up to anything for the first time let us just say we are unsophisticated yeah we but I handle things well yeah. things fair. are very very rudimentary fair however or um that's a fancy but however with that said i feel like if you're 40, 35, 25 is like the cutoff for me. Like if you're 35, 45, 55, and you're just now realizing there's injustice, if, if 2020 was your awakening and you were like in your thirties or older, that's a problem. <laughs> I will just say as a white woman, I had a lot of conversations over the last few years that were very uncomfortable because I just wanted to grab people by the lapels and go, mm -hmm. where the fuck have you been? Yes. Yes. And, and that is a bit, that is a, and I'll take this. I will have those conversations with people. So you don't have to, Thank you. it is a bit like when you finally call someone and they're like, it's about fucking time you called me. And you're like, okay, well, it's a yes. And I'm hella late to the party. I fuck some shit up on the way here. I have arrived. I'm going to try not to knock some more shit over and make it about me. I'm going to try not to make it about me. It's it's like a toddler mm -hmm. with a bottle of booze and a cigarette. <laughs> You're like, you don't have enough experience with this. Just put it down. Put it down. You're, you put it, put it down. You're not you're not ready for this action. Please and, sit and observe. Yeah. And, and I feel like 
Torrance's age is kind of her saving grace, right? Because she doesn't, her, she's 16, 18, 17. She's not, she's a senior in high school. So her life experience is like this big. And I'm holding my fingers like a half an inch apart for our viewers at home. And, well, and her yours entire, at home, listeners. Her entire existence has been in this white bubble. Very privileged, very, very isolated. You know, right. it's, yeah. So I give her some grace in that. And I do, and I think that towards the end, you know, she does like she, her, she convinces her dad to write a check. So that way the clovers can go. Cause they couldn't raise the money in time to go to nationals. That's fine. And dandy. I think, I think, like I said earlier, I think that's her way of writing what she sees as a wrong, but it also kind of had a savior complex to it for me. Maybe that's why it bothered me instead of like being like, okay, how can we help you get the money? It was like, here, I got the money for you. And it should have been more like, that's not empowering when someone just gives it to you. That's not empowering. Well, it's also like, here's a check to make me feel better. Yes. Right. And so, and it's one action. So one of the things I'm like, so let's, if we were going to bring these seniors in 2000 with us and mm -hmm. now they're 40, mm -hmm. how is like, what's Torrance doing? Is she working at the ACLU? Mm -hmm. Did her, did her great awakening last last, right? Um, is big red on the real housewives of <laughs> Rancho Carne? Yes. Right. Like, because I, I don't think it's fair to be like, okay, at this time, mm -hmm. this happened. Yeah. It's, I think still think it's a yes. And mm -hmm. Because if you notice everyone around her, still an asshole. Yeah, like big. That's like you. Sh <laughs> you should have taken the routine anyway. And then, and then when it's like, um, when everyone's like, oh, you know, the Clovers couldn't get the money, and everyone's like, great, we're like, we're gonna win now. And Torrance is like, no, if we're gonna be the best, we have to compete against the best. And everyone else is like, who gives a shit that they couldn't make it? And she's like you should give a shit they didn't make it <laughs> like, i mean how many times have you wanted to wear a shirt that says i shouldn't have to tell you to care about other people yes and that's and i feel like it's such a great what's the word is analogy the right for like how life is because you have the one person who's like oh i see it now why doesn't anybody else see it it's and emperor everyone... has no clothes on yep. right and so the kid's like he's naked he's naked he's mm -hmm. naked everyone's like shh quiet yourself we do not want to change yeah things are fine where we are do you like my accent where the fuck I, did that come from i don't know i, I guess it's right. talking about royalty yes because we have to get a little highfalutin when we are a little highfalutin. About... Mm -hmm. but it is that i mean it's also interesting that the kids who come from the other side of the tracks, Missy and Cliff, are the ones who are like, uh, that thing already had, like, they, you know, so they're, they're like, it's just, I'm trying to think of it in terms of the, the hero's journey, mm -hmm. right? Torrance is not going on the shit by herself. Right. Like, so really, who's the hero here? It's not Torrance. I mean, we could argue that it is actually Missy. 
Ooh. Oh, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. Unpack that Missy for me. Well, just that, like, she's like, I went on a journey compared to these knuckleheads. I went on a journey. I have now come back. Okay. Now I have to drag you with me to see. And now I'm coming back. You know what I mean? And then coming and saying, Hey, this is the, the real deal. This is the, and then I think Torrance is, uh, she's kind of caught in the crossfire in a way mm-hmm. she did not go looking for this right she did never questioned anything she didn't question where the routines came from she didn't she in her mind they were the best mm-hmm. like unchallenged they were mm-hmm. the best because they had been given this crown of being the best um so I don't know if Torrance is really the hero at all. Right. I thought you were going to go in the direction of Clovers because in the end they do win, which makes everybody happy. And if I ruin that for you listeners at home, I'm sorry. The movie's 22 years old and there's like six sequels. So <laughs> it's your fault. And I um, tried to watch one of the sequels and it was terrible. Like, they're terrible don't, because don't they don't mess with the sequels. Right. Cause they completely move away from the whole core of the story, which is what the times calls out or call, you know, calls to attention of being what the story is about and everyone else just kind of missing it which is ironic (laughs) what's so funny is I feel like people have given me shit about loving this movie but I'm like it's not a fucking movie about cheerleading chat right 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 Right? I mean that's that's really the real thing is here's a hint it's not about cheerleading Hughes by Jewels offers custom artwork and original prints specializing in watercolor focusing on the human form and different shades of skin. If you're looking for that perfect gift for a birthday or have a special memory you'd like to commemorate, visit Hughes by Jewels on Instagram or find the Etsy shop of the same name. That's Hughes, H-U-E-S by Jewels, J-U-L-S. In the Times review I mentioned earlier, A.O. Scott touches on race and economic inequality. He leads with this statement, a whole movie rather than just a subplot might have been devoted to East Compton's struggle for recognition and to the out of uniform lives of ISIS's squad played with gusto by the members of the singing group Black. As it is, the Clovers are on hand to serve as symbols of a complexity the movie isn't quite able to explore. They're better dancers and better athletes than their white counterparts, and also for their gumption and self-sufficiency, the agents of a white girl's moral awakening, which we've touched on. Yes. In the summer of 2020, 20 years after this film's release, the great white awakening commenced. Bookstores could barely keep books on race on their shelves. White Americans were shocked and appalled by what was happening in America and appeared to be eager to learn. In September of 2021, Entertainment Weekly ran an article wherein they recapped Gabrielle Union's appearance on Good Morning America. When she was asked about her role on in Bring It On, she said, quote, I was given full reign to do whatever I wanted with ISIS in Bring It On, and I chose respectability and to be classy and take the high road because I felt like that would make her be appropriate. The right kind of black girl, black girls aren't allowed to be angry, demonstrably angry. And I muzzled her to black Americans. The events of 2020 
were of no surprise. But for white America, the world seemed to come crashing in and Pandora's box was open. Conversations that were in corners of the internet, like cultural appropriation, were now front and center in major publications. So my question is this. If Bring It On had been a serious movie, gritty and deeply dramatic, do you think people would have paid better attention to the fact that this teen romp movie called out injustice that had, at this point, already been happening for several decades? I, you know what's funny is I don't even know who the fuck saw this movie. <laughs> like, I, I'm being 100% real. Like, I'm still like, who were they making this movie for? Yeah, I went and saw who? it in the theater. I don't know if I saw it when it, like, the weekend it opened, but it definitely was, like... But wait, how old were you in... 2000? I was 16 years old. Dude. And... Ask me Summer every Summer. movie that happened in 1986. I also saw it in the movie theater. Nice. That's when I was 16. At the time, our summers were still in August. Like, we didn't go back to school until after Labor Day. My same high school now, these children start the second week of August. It's bullshit. So, like, I'm solidly in summer. So we probably went and saw it. We probably saw it at the Briggsmore Movie Theater, which is now a Safeway, which is hilarious because it was a Safeway way back when and before it became a movie theater. So talk about full circle, but it wasn't that far from our house. So we probably walked to the movie theater. We probably paid our three dollars to see it. Right. Just, you know, like, right. You're like, we're going to see whatever's here. There's air conditioning and other teenagers. And I think they here. only had like five screens at the time. So it was like not even I think maybe there was like four. I don't know. So but I loved it. I went out, I had the soundtrack. I bought it. I had it on VHS and then I upgraded to DVD when they came out on DVD. Like my DVD of bring it on is so old that like, I think that the it, I was worried the plastic was going to break. I have to say like, you know, people have a list of movies that they'll watch no matter like when they come on, if they, they catch it from the beginning, they oh drop their plans. They just sit down and watch it. Yep. They watch the last, the whole shebang. They like do other stuff. Bring it on is one of those movies for me. Yeah. Um, although I do want to mute everyone who isn't Torrance, Missy, Cliff, or the Clovers. You know, and I feel like that that's what gets in the way of people seeing the truth about the movie well that and people are they had their buckets wedged pretty firmly on their heads mm -hmm. because okay I'm gonna try not to pull a muscle rolling my eyes <laughs> but I have been told on numerous occasions that I see too many things into things in culture Mm. why can't it just be a movie about cheerleading because it's not well and that's the thing tammy you and i are in the same boat i get told that shit all the time it's not always about race isn't it though <laughs> thanks cliff yeah <laughs> i was just saying at the end of thelma and louise i was like yes mm -hmm. of course that's how Great why movie. you why you got to take it so seriously it's just a movie it's not why couldn't they work it out that i'm like oh for the love of god shut also, up also we don't deserve gina davis also can we talk about hot brad pitt jesus oh my like, god because i am not but i i am not a blanket brad pitt gal but in there's the a cup Thelma and louise mm-hmm 
and a river runs through it. Mm. Holy mm -hmm. shit. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I get the Brad Pitt. Anyway, we are off on a tangent. The point is this. I forgot the question. <laughs> Do you think that the point would have been made about the... Shit, hold on. Let me just read it exactly how I wrote it because life's hard. Okay. If Bring It On had been a serious movie, gritty and deeply dramatic, do you think people would have paid better attention to the fact that this teen romp movie called out an injustice that had at this point in 2000 already been happening for several decades? I love this question because my, my honest to God first response is this would have never been made if we didn't see half naked teenage girls. I mean, where's the lie? It wouldn't have been made if there wasn't like homophobic, sexist bullshit. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't have been made because they would be like, who's going to watch a movie about cheerleaders talking about race and class and gender? And I'd be like, did somebody finally write a fucking movie for me without all the bullshit, without right. the stupid stuff? And the answer is, I want to edit this movie because there's so many pieces that are actual perfection where you're mm -hmm. like, oh my God, this is so good. And then there's pieces that are very cringy. So like when they do the car wash and they're all like, <laughs> it's like a, you it's know, porkies. Like yeah. Which by the way, I've never seen, but do you really have to see porkies to know what it's about? No, because it's always used as a point of reference for raunchy teen movies. Or young adult movies. Okay, can, adult also, movies. can we talk about in the big scheme of things, this movie is actually not that raunchy. Yeah. So it like, it like, it failed. Like, you're like, wow, you missed the mark with the thing that you were going for. So hardcore. <laughs> like, like, so can we just cut that part out? And again, do you, okay, do you, now I have to talk about another thing. Yeah. Because it, it could, because it's, did you ever, and does anyone else also watch Call the Midwife? I've seen the first season and then I stopped after that. Okay. But it's been on forever, right? Like 13 It has seasons. been on forever. And I, I resisted watching it because I was like, who fucking cares about <laughs> midwives in the 50s in, in England? England? But this is what I'm going to tell you. The reason the I love it, the reason why I come back to it is because that, that show is not about midwives people it's not about babies it's not about babies it's about female friendship yep it's about birth control mm -hmm. it's about women's empowerment it's about fucking freedom it's about bodily autonomy it's about race class gender war it's about love it's about poverty it's it's not about babies. But it would never have been made had they not put some sort of very buttoned up what men think women should be concept in the title, right? But what's so interesting, though, is that it's really about the relationship of all the women in mm -hmm. the town. And it's about the relationship between the medical nurses and the very religious nuns mm -hmm. and uh, and so every time I watched it I was stunned so it's a, that same thing so I feel like feel like uh there was a missing opportunity with bring it on with bring it on to really explore 
what it what this movie was really about race class gender mm-hmm. equity equality mm-hmm. um relationships between like some of the characters were so incredibly one-dimensional yeah like everyone except cliff <laughs> Torin, um and missy missy and isis everybody else was a caricature maybe caricature yes i was gonna say stage set design Mm. like but caricature i i felt like the clovers were caricatures because while gabrielle union's character went high when they went low Mm -hmm. um the other girls i thought were depicted in a very lazy manner. Mm. I felt like there was some part, some parts of this movie were just fucking lazy and obvious. I'm like, like you couldn't do, you couldn't take that anywhere else. And but like, I'm going to beat you up after the, at the multi hold me back. Like really? Yeah. And again, I always go back to, I wonder what would have happened if you did have somebody who was a little bit more empathetic to the female plight in charge of the direction directing, because, you know, a lot of times actors have ideas, you know, and I've, you know, this I've done acting, we have ideas. We're not coming into this with the expectation of being told exactly what to do. Like, well, you're not a vessel to be filled. Yes. In my mind, you're not doing your job as a director if you're not getting the best performance out of your actors, right? Like, isn't that the point? Like, you're the manager of the show, essentially. Like, you're, it is your job to get us to do the best performance. And if you're telling me that I can't, I have to stop right here and I can't go any further, then you're not doing a very good job as being a director. And well, there was don't... just, but there was just a lot of flat, flat pe- people, flat yeah. performances, flat storylines. I think he, because I think he didn't get it. I think because he didn't get the whole point. I think he's in the camp of Roger Ebert, who later ate his words. I, I mean, I did, when I was a kid, I did watch Siskel and Ebert. Oh, and same. I always, Two thumbs up. Yeah. Right. I hated, it. I I hated always, it when they disagreed. I, I didn't because I was always like, why? what the fuck why middle-aged white guys get to tell us what to fucking watch so here's my thing about roger ebert after doing 50 plus episodes of this show and pulling just as many articles that he's written yes he's a pulitzer prize winner that is impressive i had dreams of doing that one day but when i read the articles that he writes about female-led movies it's not overtly problematic but when you read them weekly in succession, you know, you're, you're just like, like, I'm noticing a pattern. here. I'm noticing a pattern. And again, and he was, the, he was the product of time. It could be the product of time, but he was the gold standard, right? There are some journalists out there, entertainment journalists out there who you could tell clearly grew up on Siskel and Ebert because they're trying. They're not Ebert, but they're trying. And it is like. Can we, I mean, I don't want, he's dead, bless his heart, rest his soul. Um, so I don't want to like pull him out of the grave and like, you know. Have but, a firm talking to. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of those things where you're just like, you shaped multiple generations on how we view entertainment 
And now, now I can see it now that I've done not a deep study, but enough of reading of your work for the last year and a half where I'm like, you're not, you shouldn't have been the gold standard. Somebody okay. should help you out. Well, but this, but, but it's the same. It's exactly the same thing. Well, I'll say this again and again and again, we live in the actual best time because taste making right has been democratized right we can have this conversation dozens of people will fucking listen to it <laughs> but i'm going to tell you what all back in the day who download in the first hour <laughs> right all of our friends hi dad like whatever yeah. um like but i am going to actually put this on my personal instagram and shout out my dms of people so that maybe they'll yeah. listen um, but back in the day, yeah, and that day was all the way at until the beginning of the aughts, yeah, there were only a few people who were allowed to be a tastemaker, right? Just fucking ridiculous. Because again, I'm going to come back to this again and again and again. And people are gonna be like, what the fuck is your problem? My problem is, is Roger Ebert was not the target audience, right? I'm going to tell you what, this movie ticked a lot of boxes for me. Mm -hmm. Also, does everything that I consume have to be high art? Nope. No. Does it have to be stunning commentary? No. Does it have to be perfectly executed? No. And it's like me, like me deciding that I'm going to be the arbiter of like I'm going to do sports fucking casting. I don't even know what it's called. People be like, why is the person who gives zero shits about this mm -hmm. talking about the thing that we love? Well, and that's, you know, that's part of my argument too on, and one of the reasons why, and we talked about this, however long it was, we talked about it where it was just like, there's not a lot of people out there. There are now more now since like in the last year, but there weren't, the major publications are still hiring the Roger Eberts of the world to talk about entertainment. And that bothers me because when they review film, female led stuff, you're just like, you're not coming from it of a place of experience or percent. Like you're not the person who should be talking about it. I'm not saying that every black movie needs to be reviewed by a black critic. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe hire a black critic because their perception is going to be a little bit different. Is this helpful or harmful? I feel like they are more equipped to say like a black reviewer is going to be more equipped to say that a movie is helpful or harmful to the black community. Also the black community is not a monolith. We are different all across the board, but when you have somebody who's coming from experience, it's my quibble with single mom stuff on in public, in public, in pop culture. I fucking hate half the shit that's represented for single mom stuff because there's very, one trope they pick and it's or two there's two that they pick and then it's very you know flat and you're just like cool thanks for upholding the stereotype asshole and then I gotta read an article by a guy who's 27 who doesn't have fucking kids and never had to like deal with single mom shit write about it he's <laughs> like, like you well he's like and my mom's not even a single mom yeah, just to bring the point he's like i don't have this experience on any of it but i did get paid to write this thing uh -huh. that wasn't fucking meant for me yep and then i wonder too how many people if somebody were to say to roger ebert hey bro this is probably not the best way to say this now their career is ruined like how how real was that 
I'm just happy to live in a time where I don't just have to listen to one person's opinion about something that isn't for them. Like, I'll just say, like, I'm trying to think of some, like, young, like, Gen Z pop culture thing. This is how far away from it I am. I don't even know what it could be. I'm going to come back again and again. It wasn't made for me. No one should give a shit if I get it. It ain't for me. So leave it alone. I don't need to be critical of things that are not meant for me. Yeah. And that's, I think one of the things I struggle with sometimes with critics, because they're coming at it from an angle where they're the critic, but it's like, (laughs) I'm like, so you watch a lot of movies. Yeah. So then it's like, well, what can you maybe give us an inkling on like whether or not it would be appropriate or good for a different type of audience? Like just because I don't watch Handmaid's Tale doesn't mean that I can't acknowledge that it's a really good fucking show. I've seen the trailers. I've seen the acting, you know, I've. I skipped the whole thing and just read the fucking book in the nineties. And was was like, (laughs) I don't want to live like that. I think I'll spend a decade working in reproductive politics. Yeah. I I don't need to watch a fucking show. Yeah. When people ask, Oh, have you watched it? I'm like, I'm still recovering from the book. I don't know if I can watch the show, (laughs) but like there's things. I read that book in 1991. I am also still recovering from that book. Thank you. Let's start a support group. <laughs> totally. And people are like, oh, it's such a great show. I'm like, didn't read the book, did you? Don't know how this ends, do you? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of like in this camp of like, just because it's not for me, doesn't mean I can't appreciate that there's artistry there or that people are like working for it. And like, and that's the thing with Bring It On. Like, you don't get it. I get that, Roger Ebert. It's not for you. But it also wasn't for A.O. Scott and he got it. So where's the disconnect? privilege is a real like the p word goes deep right Mm -hmm. because it's like oh that doesn't affect me like oh that's so silly those girls are they're just they're just talking about cheerleading routines okay well like i can't like how much do i have to hold people's hands to be like oh is that what this is about Mm -hmm. oh that's funny because you know, I spent a decade in the classroom as a teacher working with kids on what you would think I would say math and reading. I worked on their critical reasoning skills Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to have another generation of people who were dumb. So here's a, here's a thing that we did. They, for some reason they were, I think, I don't know when Pocahontas, the movie came out. Some, some in the nineties, I think. Right. So I was teaching in the early aughts and they were all after me to watch it. And I was like, I was like, okay, we'll do this. I was like, but we're going to read this other thing about Pocahontas. And we're going to read this other thing about Pocahontas. We're going to read this other thing. We're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to have a deep dive. Then we'll watch a movie. Then we're going to talk about what's truth and what's fiction. Yeah. And every kid in that class, they started with, I love this thing. I love it so much. And by the time they were done, they were like, "Um, excuse me, please. In the Disney movie, she married that guy. But in the reality, 
he was like her captor. I was like, oh, Bob yeah. Pickens' friends. And they were like, this thing says this, and this thing says, I was like, oh, hello, welcome to the world of critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Right? I could have just let them enjoy their fucking movie. They're Maybe. historically inaccurate movie. You had to ruin it for him. But it wasn't ruining it for him. It's just helping them identify. Like, you can still enjoy something without without losing the integrity of what actually happened. Right? Like, And culture does not exist in a vacuum, people. Like, you... Th- I'm like, what, what's about nothing? What's, what's just this? What's, what's so, by the way, I, if, if, if somebody presented me a story with no cultural meaning, I would be like, why are we watching this fucking drivel? Well, you know, my stance, I'm, I'm all about consuming nonfiction or excuse me, correction, consuming fiction. Cause I think you actually learn more from it than when you do nonfiction and, you know, nonfiction is more prestigious. I get it. But fiction is a safe place to learn and challenge your ideals and challenge your stereotypes and perceptions and, and to learn empathy and to and- learn empathy and to travel if you don't have the actual funds to travel. And I think that that, and I said this in a post not too long ago, it was today, but we're not saying today because this episode goes out later where I say, this is why representation is so important because people are taking in, we're consuming these things. And with the attitude of, well, it's just whatever is actually pretty harmful because it's shaping whatever you just watched is shaping your perception of that group of people or that situation or that scenario. So if you're doing a shit job, John Hughes and 16 candles with Wong Duck Dong, then, you know, it has real life implications. And did I, I don't mention, know why people don't want did to. Did I mention that. that came out when I was in high school? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, and and it it if the only thing that you're filling your feed with or your YouTube queue or your Netflix queue is stuff that perpetuates stereotypes Mm -hmm. and girl it is real easy to do that Mm -hmm. um that you you take that with you yeah yeah again i it all so much of it just comes back to where i'm like it's called critical thinking and critical by the way does not mean tearing things apart and being negative Right. It means watching with your whole fucking brain right. and being like, that's interesting that out of all the people, this is how they, this is how the director chose to portray mm-hmm. that character. Mm-hmm. They could have chosen any other storyline, but that's how they, that was the choice that they made. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting choice. Agreed. I've had the discovery a lot this season on the show, the movies and television of my youth and adolescence shaped a lot of my beliefs fundamentally and intrinsically. My heart ached for the Clovers and Isis 
She was the stronger captain and definitely a better leader than Big Red, and yet no one knew until Torrance knew and in 2000 didn't wield much power. Now we can take to social media to call out such discrepancies and issues. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you please remind our listeners where they can find you if they want to keep up with you? Love it. And I will link friends to everything in the show notes, um, her social, her website, and plus all the resources we talked about today about voting, because voting is such an important action that we can do as citizens and staying informed. And it's really easy now that the internet exists. (laughs) That's not true. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your time. Until next time.